potential and possibilities, discussions with fascinating people, designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome everybody again to another episode of our show, bringing you another really fascinating guest today, helping to create a better tomorrow in many unique fronts. Today we have the opportunity to be joined by Dr. Tristan Brisbois, who is Director of the Advanced Personalization Ideation Center uh, in the Life Sciences Global R&D Group at PepsiCo, where she's involved in delivering actionable personalized nutrition solutions to help promote the health and wellness of their consumers. Uh, she recently also held the role of Director of Platform and Academic Partnerships, where she was involved uh, in developing Pepsi's internal capabilities in areas like personalized nutrition, uh, as well as identifying and forming important partnerships with leading academic institutions and external vendors in this development space. Uh, Dr. Brisbois previously did that, served the Senior Principal Scientist for Global R&D Nutrition Sciences. Uh, there she was involved in advancing the, uh, the translation of nutrition science in key areas, uh, directing and guiding regional product innovation, brand communications for PepsiCo North America beverages. She also provided uh, expert input and support on external stakeholder issues. She oversaw PepsiCo North America nutrition communication outreach program and strategy. Uh, prior to Pepsi, uh, Dr. Brisbaugh was the manager of nutrition and scientific affairs at the Canadian Sugar Institute, where she led that organization's nutrition communications program. Uh, Dr. Brisbaugh completed both her bachelor's and PhD in nutrition and food sciences at the University of Alberta. Her PhD, interestingly enough, investigated food intake behaviors in cancer uh, with a focus on appetite stimulation and improvement of taste and smell perception using marijuana therapy. Uh, she also studied appetite and reward related pathways in healthy and disease populations, exploring various mechanisms uh, that either led to cancer or uh, deficit of calories in, in the case of uh, different pathologies. Um, in addition to all that, uh, she also has her master's in business and science in global food and technology innovation from Rutgers University, go Scarlet Knights, yay. Uh, a lot of exciting things to be talking about today. Uh, we're glad to have her. Dr. Tristan Brisbois, thank you so much for taking the time to come on our show. Thank you for having me. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's going to be a great discussion, a lot of interesting things to discuss. Um, I'd like to start off, though, like we typically do, uh, just by handing you the floor just for a little bit to uh, to further introduce yourself. Um, read through your fascinating bio uh, at Pepsi, um, but can, can you take us back to sort of the early days? Uh, introduce yourself a little bit about uh, where you grew up, how you got interested uh, in science, but also, of course, food science and nutrition. I think that would be a great way to, uh, to lay the groundwork for what we're going to be getting into. Sure, sure. So, um, yeah, I guess right from 
uh, a kid. So I grew up in Western Canada. Uh, so it was actually back in Alberta, which makes sense to you know the school out there. Um, you know, had some great, great parents with some great advice. My dad's, his main message to me was always pick a career that you really enjoy. He worked for the government for many years, not to say that a government is not a, a very fun career, but I uh, wanted to make sure that I enjoyed what, what I did. And then my mom, um, you know, she was a big advocate on being a student for life. So, you know, those two pieces of advice kind of really uh, uh, helped, I guess, maybe mold and shape um, the, the career trajectory. And, you know, for me, I always wanted to have uh, a job and in, in careers in, in areas that continuously challenge and interest me. And so I've had a lot of different, um, uh, you know, you kind of read through that the formal bio, but even as, as an early age, like, you know, got into everything from road construction to waitressing to, you know, um, tutoring, refing, soccer, like everything across the gamut. And, and, and for me, it was really uh, important to be able to always understand uh, all people's point of view. So you meet a lot of interesting people, the more diverse that, that you get into different fields. And then also, you know, it's just, it kind of helps to build your skill set. And so, you know, you, you, you force yourself to kind of get into these different areas, learn about it. And then it's, it's amazing how much you can connect the dots afterwards. And so, you know, for, for me, when I was in academics, and, and you're rightfully so, I, I studied medicinal marijuana before it was cool. Um, so started my, my PhD in that space and, you know, very proud of the outcome of that. You know, obviously it, it um, the uh, placebo controlled clinical trial that we had did, did influence um, Health Canada's decision to, uh, you know, make sure that medicinal marijuana was was recognized as a, as a therapy. So that was that was a fantastic outcome. Um, but you know, it's it, when I was in academics, I knew I didn't want to stay there, and it comes back to this constantly, you know, wanting to see all sides and that breadth of of learning. And so, you know, for me, decided to go to a trade association first. And, and you know, I'd like to say that that was a choice. But really, when you're coming out of academics, you apply for everything under the sun, and then you just hope <laughs> that you land somewhere that's interesting. And so, you know, that was my first career move me across the country to Toronto. Um, you know, great time there, learned a lot. It was a, it was a fantastic entrance job because um, in Canada, it's a little bit different than the U.S. So you're very much in um, uh, where you have sort of all policymakers at the table. So, you know, you have your, your scientists in, um, in the nutrition realm that doesn't matter where they're from. So they can be from industry, trade associations, um, academic partners alike. And, and I really feel that, you know, like Health Canada does a really good job of taking all those points of view and then coming up with the best policy possible. I mean, I really do empathize with policymakers. I think they got a tough job ahead of them. Um, but, you know, okay, it's, it was interesting to see how that all worked and came together. And then from there, I got recruited to PepsiCo and, you know, started with the Canadian business, um, worked a lot on the beverage side with uh, our Gatorade Sports Science Institute and was sort of, you know, the um, the lead there for, for Canada, sweat testing our athletes, that kind of thing it was fantastic work, still work with that team a lot. Um, and then, yeah, when came down to the U.S., I guess it's been six and a half years now, so from Toronto to New York, and New York's a great city, it's a lot of fun, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, PepsiCo does a great job of keeping talent interested in, in, in interesting areas, so, um, you know, I've, uh, the last, I guess it'd be last three to Three and a half, four years um, when Antonio Tatarani joined from from Life Sciences um, to build out that capability. Uh, I've been working with him um, right from the beginning, and we've been looking at you know merging science and technologies with the team, and personalized nutrition is one of them. So that's how you know went from the platform role into you know this very exciting space of of personalized nutrition. So that's where we ended up.
Awesome. Really awesome. And when I look at the, you know, the uh, PepsiCo Life Sciences R&D group, it's, you have a very broad uh, purview in the sense uh, interpretation, communication, translation, uh, nutrition, sports science, and all the connectivity to physiology, diet, health. Uh, it, it, there's a, a group of organizations that you sort of uh, encompass now. Uh, we, the Gatorade Sports Science Group, we had Dr. Carter on the show several months ago talking about their initiatives, but also uh, health and nutrition science team, uh, an external innovation policy and academic partnerships team, which I, I mentioned a little bit in the intro, and then clinical operations. Could you give us a little sort of top line overview of the Pepsi R&D Life Science Organization? I mean, I love hearing about uh, novel groups like this within, you know, I think I think Pepsi is a food company, but here's an amazing suite of, of life sciences capabilities, and a little bit about where directives come from. I mean, I'm, I'm much more familiar with the pharma industry, but, you know, does the does the Tropicana team say, hey, I'm, I'm interested in, in these, you know, interesting nutrition properties of, of orange juice and PepsiCo R&D team find these out for me? How, how does it all work? Where, where does it all come from? No, great question. Um, so a life sciences organization, uh, it's about 130 strong across the globe. Um, and, and like I said, you know, it, it's kind of um, the company has made an, a consorted effort to uh, beef up that, that part of the, um, um, the organization in recent years. But that's not to say that we haven't been on that journey for quite sure. some time. So the nutrition science team, for instance, which is one of the key pillars within the life sciences organization, head up by Marianne O'Shea, um, that team has been in operation for, you know, you know, a few decades now. And that's actually where I started my career within PepsiCo was with that nutrition science team. Um, and then as you, as you point out, James Carter leading up the GSSI. So the exercise physiologist mainly based in the U S but there are some, uh, on, on a global scale as well. Um, and then our external innovation team, um, which is a really interesting and, and fun addition because, you know, especially for my group where we work a lot with external partners, external vendors, it's great to be able to have a team with expertise in that space to help um, vet and also just to help um, highlight, um, you know, interesting partners that we might uh, want to engage with. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's definitely evolved over the time. I'd say uh, Antonio Tatarani, so he is my, uh, my boss. Um, maybe an interesting interview <laughs> for you at some point. Um, he actually did come from the pharma industry, but first started his career at the NIH um, for 10 years there, 10 years in pharma, and then and then um, came over to to PepsiCo. You know, and, and that's really with that remit to to help you know develop out this this capability and start to see you know really pushed us in, in an area, and I, I love this space is is looking more of not being just like a really good partner to our. Um, uh, marketing team and our business partners, which which we are, right? And so it, it is a little bit of that um, push-pull. And so marketing would come to us and say, hey, what can I say about this product? You know, kind of thing, making sure that they're legitimate in what they're saying. And, and, and also on the flip side, looking at, okay, scoping new ingredients, for instance, here's some really interesting space looking at the different technologies and science and saying, you know, here's some white space opportunities. And so we were kind of doing that all, um, you know, as a group in different ways, but not really in a, in a consorted effort. And so, you know, um, the academic platform role um, that I had, you know, we launched um, an R&D innovation dossier is what we're calling them. So there was really to identify where is that white space opportunities where there's really good, um, 
uh, scientific underpinnings. So what are the scientific trends and big macro trends and where do they meet and intersect with consumer insights? And that's where like those white space opportunities and market opportunities could be. And so, you know, we started to formalize kind of that process a bit. And, and one thing that continued to come up was personalized nutrition and, mm -hmm. and hence the, you know, the eventual, you know, um, evolution of, of my role into being able to launch the, the advanced personalization ideation center and build that up and, and start looking at how do we build that capability for PepsiCo as, you know, consumers start thinking more about personalized um, options and, and also just, you know, wanting to um, improve their overall wellness. And obviously COVID greatly accelerated that um, on all fronts. And so, you know, it's, it's, um, it's been very interesting ride, I guess, almost feels a little bit serendipitous, even from, you know, from the background to get to here. But I mean, it's such an interesting dynamic space and, and, you know, being able to pull in all these different partners from both the technology and academic side has just been, um, has been just fantastic and really, really enjoying the journey so far. Excellent. Excellent. And then, you know, one other thing before, before we get into some of the different projects, um, I, I noticed that um, just a, a little bit ago, I think you uh, attended the, the Food as Medicine Summit um, and you were on this panel discussing sort of the opportunities for uh, the food and beverage industry uh, to sort of engage in this whole concept of food as medicine. I, I, this, it's, it's such a, uh, I want to sort of, in addition to sort of the Pepsi R&D organization, I wanted to sort of get your uh, view on where we are in 2022 in the sense that, you know, I think back, and if you, if you and I went in a time machine, we went back, say, 20 years, you know, we, we would see pharma companies making drugs and food companies making delicious food and nutrition companies doing their thing with supplements and whatnot. And now everyone's doing every other one's other business. <laughs> we got pharma companies that are making things that don't look like pharma products. We got medical foods and, and everything in between. Where are we in 2022 uh, with this concept of food as medicine? Um, and where, it, 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 in answer to sort of um, your panel, what, what kind of conclusions did you come to in general from the discussion of where the food and beverage industry sits in that equation nowadays in 2022? Yes. So. Um... I mean, I can answer your question around food as medicine in terms of the outcome of the panel. So I don't know if you've flown recently, <laughs> but my flight was canceled. <laughs> so okay. I'm going to have to take that um, from, from an airport, uh, that panel. And that was, probably wasn't the best decision. But, you know, yes, we've been involved in this in this concept of food as medicine, both through our consortium with Tufts, um, but then also, you know, and Antonio has been a speaker in these different panels as well. And, you know, it's it's interesting because consumers are definitely looking for more from their food right, food and beverages. So they're looking for it to be more than just nourishment. It's like nourishment and. So what's yeah. that functional angle to that? And it's, you know, we kind of been looking at this as this is kind of like an east to west thing, you know, where you're looking at, you know, in other parts of the world that it's it's always been that way, that food is medicine in, in other parts of the world. Yeah. And so is it something that now, you know, North America, Western society is just kind of catching up to um, potentially. Um, you know, it, it presents an interesting opportunity for big companies because, you know, well, for, I guess for PepsiCo, for instance, I mean, we're definitely on this spectrum, right? So we have very indulgent, like, products within our portfolio, unapologetically, those have great um, rewarding you know, benefits to them. It, it's food is it's supposed to be enjoying, um, you know, we're able to do that all the way through to very nutritious offerings. And so where on that spectrum um, are we going to play? And, you know, I'd say the food is medicine movement in that functional food space is something that's, you know, we're not we're ever going to be a medical food company, but can we 
you know, sort of move the needle a little bit more towards that functional food space. And, and you know, I was talking about ingredient scoping and, you know, different clinical work in that space. I think that that's where you're going to start to see, you know, a lot of movement in, in that area. And where you see big food companies kind of getting into that space if the regulatory environment will allow it, right? And so it's it's a little bit where technologies are they're almost exceeding how regulations are going forward. I mean, personalized nutrition is a great example of that, um, where, you know, regulations need to catch up. And so is there going to be a way of being able to, um, you know, help support and nurture innovation in a way that's still safe for the consumer and not misleading at all? And so I think that that's, that's going to be a real big challenge uh, going forward, but one that, you know, certain PepsiCo is willing to embrace. Excellent. So let's let's talk a little bit about some of the the projects and and you know I, I think I'd love to start off with this uh, this fascinating uh, program called the um, the GX Sweat Patch, um, which uh, is defined in the materials as this breakthrough ecosystem that collects real time sweat data uh, to advise uh, consumers on hydration status, nutrition status, uh, recommendations for recovery. Uh, we're at a, fast, a fascinating time where these wearables are far beyond, hey, what's my what's my pulse? Um, can you talk a little bit about, because I know you, this is now connected uh, through your work with the Gatorade Sports Science Institute, but if you could sort of take us into the history of this, uh, how wearable was decided, how sweat was, I mean, sweat is a wonderful bioresource uh, of, uh, of different um, biomarkers, uh, all about health and, and fitness, but take us a little through the background story here and, and how you came to this uh, fascinating new project. Sure, sure. So um, you said like you had talked to uh, Dr. James Carter, so he yeah. leads up this team. And so um, he could probably give you a, a much better and, and um, fuller explanation. But I mean, even as, as I mean, as a company, uh, hydration is a, is a massive unlock, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's sort of how do you democratize the ability to have almost a, a sports scientist or someone in your, what they call a sports scientist in your pocket. So how can you help a general consumer or a weekend warrior, whatever it might be, to help assess how much uh, fluid as well as sodium that they've lost during their exercise or performance or whatever it might be to, to recover properly and make sure that they're properly hydrated going in. Because hydration is very, it's very interesting. So it's not just, you know, for physical performance, but also right. mental performance, which is really important for those, you know, like hockey, for instance, you know, as a Canadian, I'm going to, <laughs> speak to hockey, but, you know, a lot of other sports where you need that kind of, you know, quick decision making, um, which is also relevant in, in the work workforce as well. So, um, you know, the, the team, this was not a small or short endeavor. So they underwent 11 clinical trials. This was over the course of five years. It was definitely um, an initial push from the, the marketing and the business team to be able to say, how do we expand what GSSI does, the Gatorade Sports Science Institute? How do we expand what they do to others? Um, you know, can anybody can go and purchase this, this sweat patch right now? And so, you know, that was the, the hope in behind it. Um, like I said, you know, great team that did some great validation work um, in this, making sure that the wearable is actually measuring what it is, um, because, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of stuff on the markets right now, which sure. is questionable <laughs> if the outcomes uh, is actually uh, legitimate or not. But the, the team did a fantastic job in that space. And, you know, it's just the beginning. Right. And and starting out with personalized nutrition with an athlete or personalized hydration just makes sense. I mean, they're they're early adopters. They want to improve their performance. Um, and so, you know, how and what's the remit of my team is like, how do you then 
expand that even further to the general population. And so what does that look like? And what are those wearables and sensors look like um, for, for the general population? Excellent. And uh, just one thing I, I neglected to mention at the beginning is that in, this, in addition to your, your many responsibilities, you're also on the, um, uh, the advisory committee, uh, University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, uh, the Institute of Genomic Biology and Personalized Nutrition uh, Initiative there doing all sorts of outreach and and so forth and, and you know looking through this uh, material um in addition to sort of the wearables and the ai and that stuff the, the this theme that we've we've touched on a teeny bit in the past of nutrigenomics uh pops up um and I, i'm just interested in getting sort of your feedback on uh where we are in this particular area because i know this is one that's been sort of evolving over time a little different than sort of pharma genomics uh but really sort of this whole concept of as you know we think of the patch and we have an understanding of, of, of sweat and hydration and so forth, but the recommendations uh, that recovery can be um, uh, obviously drink more water or get more electrolytes, what have you, but you know, this vision of, hey, you know, uh, eat more of X, less of Y uh, and so forth and so on to match our genetics, our epigenetics, which is becoming a part of the equation. Where are we in 2022 with regard to things like nutrigenomics and, and personalization of uh, of the input uh, side of things? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting because like the science um, of all the omics, so um, whether it's the nutrigenetics, um, the uh, microbiome, yeah. you know, a metabolomics, as you say, like there's yeah. just all the omics has <laughs> just absolutely exploded over recent years, right? So I think, you know, one general um, uh, takeaway from that is that, you know, there's the science is continuously pointing to it's not a one size fits all approach. So what works for me may not work for you. And so now how and what is the best diagnostic tool? So what is the best, you know, screening tool, patch, wearable, whatever it might be, to help differentiate what's gonna be the best food or beverage for you um, or diet program or whatever it might be. And you know, we're a long ways off of that. <laughs> so, cause there is, there is so much um, areas. And right now you look at the personalized nutrition field, it's very fragmented because people are, or companies are looking at, you know, one area, which is true. So genetics plays a role, but so does the microbiome. How do those interact? And then, you know, blood glucose control. Yep. That, that also plays a role, but how important is that to the general population is metabolic flexibility more important. So then what is the metabolome, metabolome <laughs> doing? Right. So it's just right. like this, you know, this constant kind of evolution and, and which is really interesting to see, but I, I do think that in order for this field to absolutely take off, there's going to have to be some consolidation of, you know, whether that becomes, you know, sharing of data or trans transparency with um, uh, data sets to be able to have more of a 360 point of view of a consumer without having them fill out, you know, wear 80 wearables and fill out, you know, 120 page questionnaire. So yeah. how do you how do you be able to have the systems that are already in place work together in in a way that then is adds value to the consumer without putting them in jeopardy of you know um, we obviously don't want to get into the space where you know data is being shared on on really or without the consent of the um, of the consumer so it'll be a really interesting space and and you know you mentioned the consortia um, University of Illinois like that's an area that we're looking at in a pre competitive space with you know academics um, uh, the in um, uh, big industry, small industry, as well as 
um, you know, eventually regulators to have that discussion of how are we going to ensure that, you know, data is protected, but then also making sure that, you know, how do we actually accelerate this field um, in a way that makes sense and is actually going to bring the best value back to the consumer at, at the lower cost too, right? So because yep. a lot of the stuff is, is they can get pretty pricey with these kits and, and whatnot in, the, in that space. So a little convoluted, I didn't answer your question exactly, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's evolving. And I think, you know, one last thing I'd say is that the NIH with their, um, I think it was a couple of years ago, right, with their nutrition strategy with yep. precision nutrition right at the core. I mean, you started to see a lot of these different um, precision nutrition or personalized nutrition centers popping up in different academic institutions. You know, it'll be really interesting to see what they put forward um, and what, what starts to stick in, in that space. So, you know, it's, it's been great working with those teams as well. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 as I was saying, when I, when I was looking through sort of the, um, the, research plan there uh, once again it was very broad and it was nice to see you know all of these different uh interests in these different groups coming together and, and putting something to uh that had sort of all the components um that one needs to look at when one thinks of of a personalized genomics and, and the stuff that was promised <laughs> in the past but is, is finally coming to fruition so it's nice to see uh, you involved uh, with an initiative like that um moving from the elite athlete uh to the non-elite athlete. Um, the I came across uh, also this, um, and, and now you're you're published here with with Dr. Carter, and this is through uh, GSSI, but it was a paper entitled uh, "Application of Sports Nutrition and Healthy Aging: Eat Like an Athlete: Insight to Sports Nutrition Science to Support Active Aging and Healthy Older Adults." Um, aging uh, and healthy longevity and health span has been an extremely hot topic for us. Um, in this paper, you know, you outlined some. You know, we think that maybe healthy longevity is much more complicated than it is, but you outline some very common sense, short-term things that we should be thinking about in terms of maintaining skeletal muscle mass, in terms of the way exercise may enhance a cognitive function and so forth, the importance of protein. Um, talk a little bit about some of the work that uh, you're doing in the area of healthy aging, if you would. Sure, sure. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, aging is <laughs> something that we can't ignore. I guess if you've been living under a rock for the past, you know, 10 years kind of thing that, you know, you notice that there's an aging population globally. And and what's it's alarming about it is that people are living longer, but not necessarily healthier. And so we're going to get to a point where it will absolutely cripple healthcare systems if something isn't done to be able to get to a preventative space. And so, you know, that is definitely a focus of, of um, our team and, and how do you um, uh, start, you know, you highlighted, it's, and that's very nicely done, is that there are some simple ways that you can, you know, um, adopt uh, different behavior changes and different lifestyle changes that will make a big difference over time. It's just a matter of highlighting what would work for that individual over another or getting them to test, like almost like test and learn, right, in that space and helping guide that journey. And so, you know, that paper in, in particular, we did focus on um, uh, muscle function. And, you know, because a lot as, as you know, you age, um, muscles just don't, aren't as, you know, testosterone is not as much for, for males. Um, females tend to not be as strong just to begin with. A lot of times you have this almost like sarcopenic obesity, which means that people are actually, you know, wasting from the inside. It's almost like a 90 pound person in a sumo suit. Like that's very challenging then to be able to move around. And once you lose that function, right, that physical function, 
your quality of life and your ability and your independence goes downhill very fast. And so, you know, to be able to help people maintain their fit physical um, fitness is, you know, that would be a fantastic place to start. Um, and it also helps, you know, improve sleep and et cetera, et cetera. I don't, <laughs> um, and so, you know, with, with that, it was, it was really just looking at what are some of the, the commonalities um, that we're seeing with, with athletes and other populations. And again, you know, coming back to my earlier work with advanced cancer patients who also suffer from uh, cancer cachexia. So again, the yep. wasting muscles, very similar, right? It's just accelerated in those groups in comparison to an aging population, but, but the result is the same. So, you know, it was really just looking at what are some of the pragmatic approaches that we could, we could adopt and most of it is just like, you know, really simple one, just spreading the protein out throughout the day, right? So a lot of times, you know, um, people get up and just have tea and toast or coffee and toast. It's like, well, <laughs> you know, there's not necessarily any protein in that. Could you add, you know, um, uh, whether it is, uh, you know, a shake or something in that space, or could you have, you know, a, a whey protein supplement or whatever it might be, something to be able to increase that, that overall protein intake. So it's not just all backloaded at dinner time, because as you age, your stomach also shrinks too. And so you're not mm -hmm. able, um, you know, to, uh, to consume as much, your appetite goes down, your taste and smell changes, you know, like it's, there's a lot of things working against you, I guess, um, in this area. So, you know, there's just, I, I think that, you know, what we're trying to do now is, is really looking at how do you help, um, and in early intervention, but across the whole space, but how do you help people ex extend their, their health span, uh, through ways that are very simple, um, that can then build up to big changes over time. So that, that's the focus. And, you know, it all comes down to behavior change, right? If, if it's too much all at once, nobody's going to do it. And it's just, you know, your whole program goes down the tube. So it's, um, it's, it's one of those things that, yeah, that we're definitely working on. And the last thing I'd say is that how do you make it enjoyable too, right? Cause yeah. nobody wants to hear that you have to eat this and have to eat that. Yeah. You know, we all know that the carrot works better than the stick. So, you know, how do you bring that into whatever programming or diagnostic tools or whatever it might be to help that engagement and, and stickiness? And so, yeah, that's where the team is focused for sure. And it fits in with PepsiCo culture. So that works out. <laughs> awesome. Excellent. Really excellent. And, and stay, staying on your, um, uh, your PhD thesis for a moment, because I, I had the opportunity to, to download it and, and everyone listening and watching, you should go Download Dr. Brisbois' PhD thesis, it's really awesome. It's entitled Food Intake Behavior in Advanced Cancer, Implications of Taste and Smell Alterations or Sensory Reward and Cannabinoid Therapy. And the really cool thing here, aside from the fact that it's just a, a cool story, but um, you know, things like taste and smell, organoleptics, whatever the fancy uh, terminology is, um, obviously very important, you know, if, as you were saying, if things don't taste good, things don't smell good, people aren't gonna eat and drink them. However, um, there is this whole other area that, you know, you've, you know, you touch on this in, in your thesis, but, you know, it's been getting a, more attention lately, especially uh, we think of things like smell and how we're learning, you know, we, we don't just smell like five odors, we can smell millions of different things that potentially and small variations, uh, you know, something that smells good to you, smells bad to me and all that. Um, I was just interested in <laughs> thinking back to the work you did on your, on your PhD, therapeutic or neutral applications of taste and smell beyond just yummy and smelling good. Um, any interesting research there, whether you're working on a Pepsi or just things that interest you in the scientific literature, whether that's a, I smell this, I want to eat less, I smell that, I, 
burn off more calories, whatever it may be, maybe somewhat connected to aromatherapy, I don't know, but anything there that's interesting to you that you might want to mention? Yeah, so there's, there's a, I mean, the olfactory system is very, very complex. Yeah. Um, it's amazing to me that how much, um, you know, how much is advanced even after, you know, I've, I've uh, graduated in that, that space or, you know, published that thesis years and years ago, so you're making me go back far, but that's right, I appreciate it. Um, but it's, I think like there's some there's some really interesting areas that that for me it was something that came to mind especially in COVID when people start to lose their taste and smell is one of the yeah. side effects it's like that is very alarming <laughs> because yeah. knowing how complex and your olfactory system in particular is um, and it's so tightly linked to, to memory and so because it sits at the, the front like the prefrontal cortex right like it's just it's that connection there that to me it's it'll be very interesting to see over time how all this plays out and evolves and what are the longer term side effects and whatever it might be but anyway so what's interesting about the memory space is that you know can you um because the smell of something can trigger a memory for something else can you then start to potentially i mean i haven't seen this necessarily in in the area of um of eating uh necessarily but more around like stress management definitely mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. complementary therapy i mean we looked at that with palliative care um in patients uh so yeah i think that there's there's huge potential in that area um in terms of you know um uh, other spaces that around like more flavors, I guess, you know, I don't know if you put capsaicin in that space, but the trigeminal nerve is really interesting too, in terms yep. of, you know, stimulation of that. And can that be, um, you know, a linking to a reduced food intake overall, um, you know, so some, some definitely interesting um, potential in those areas. So, so for folks like, you know, if you eat a spicy food, you generally feel a little bit fuller um, after doing that, is that because the peppers, the capsaicin um, within the food that then makes you feel full, um, whether or not there's an increase in calories is, is sort of um, not the case. And so, yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some interesting spaces for sure with, with taste and smell. And I think that those, those few areas for me are really interesting to see how that will progress as, as we go forward. Awesome. Tristan, uh, one of the, um, you know, the areas that uh, I mentioned that you're involved in is, is the outreach and the, uh, the external innovation connection. Uh, I was reading about this uh, program uh, that uh, you were involved in between PepsiCo and the uh, Yale Center for Cons Customer Insights, uh, where you created competitions, uh, basically uh, business students and so forth are able to submit ideas in terms of uh, the creation of new apps and new innovative ways to help motivate uh, consumers to, to do some of the things that we're talking about here today in terms of engaging in health behaviors. Uh, talk a little bit about some of this outreach because I really think it's, you know, it's always fascinating to hear a company like Pepsi with the, with the scale and capabilities also doing this, this outreach and this connection at the, uh, the earlier stages of, the, of people's careers in the business schools and, and so forth in the universities to get some of these new ideas is uh, flowing. Sure, sure. So the, the Yale competition, I mean, it's fantastic. It's a great group to work with, um, have had great success for the two years that we've run it. Uh, so basically, it's, it's almost like crowdsourcing for a specific question that we have. Um, and so when we first started out, so the first year was, you know, our inaugural year with the API, so it was just last year, um, where, you know, we had some ideas of what we were going to do, but there weren't exactly um, 
you know, completely vetted, that kind of thing. So we needed some help in terms of the shaping of this. Like, how can you, and it comes back to that whole, how do you make wellness fun? Mm-hmm. That is a challenge, right? Like, so what does that look like? And so that was the premise of the competition, just to see, you know, what what others, um, you know, students in particular, they're thinking about, you know, they're obviously, you know, very digitally advanced. And so for a digital application or solution, that helps that they're already in that space. Um, helped us to think more outside of our, our realm. Um, I apologize to anybody who works for an agency, but I'm generally underwhelmed by agency work in general. It's sort of, you know, you you uh, the investment for that may or may not come back with the best results. And so this is a way to really be able to get some really off the wall, creative things. So they have nothing to lose. Like, why not? Like, why not put together some, you know, uh, crazy ideas that we might want to pull from? And, it, and it's, it's not like we were looking for, the absolute perfect app altogether but it was more of almost creating like a bit of a frankenstein of of you know there's a great idea from here there's a great idea from this team you know how do we then mature our thinking in that space and then you know it's it's also then what was helpful with it is almost like a pitch deck for them and so then for us we had senior leaders involved um, myself antonio um the cmo or uh, previous CMO for Spotify was part of the the judging panel. And so we were also able to give them feedback on, you know, hey, this was really well done. This one wasn't. Have you thought more about this? And so from the student's perspective, it's a great learning experience. Like if they want to get into, um, you know, startup companies, that kind of thing, this was like an entrance um, level into that, right? And getting Mm -hmm. that feedback of what worked and what didn't. Um, and then it just furthers our partnership with Yale too. I mean, we worked with that with that great university in this in this area as as a company for quite some time. And so it was just a neat way to be able to advance that partnership in a kind of a different and an engaging way. Can you tell about some of the? I know there were some uh, announcements recently about some of the winners. Can you mention some of the apps that you uh, that you? Uh... That I looked at, yeah. So, so some of them were like they used TikTok, so it was like a fit talker <laughs> in that space, which is, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense. Like, why not yeah. do that in that area? Um, there was some others that were more around using like geocaching. So, you know, because because we're, as we're thinking about things, you know, we the one way of doing bringing wellness to be fun, it's almost like disguising it (laughs) in some way right so having people do things that they don't realize like you know the pokemon go people were increasing their step count unintentionally kind of thing which actually got them to be fitter in a way that you know wasn't intended so there's those kinds of uh you know ideas that came forward which which were really great but uh but yeah, I mean, it was just fantastic um, um, participation from, uh, you know, across all across the U.S. Very different winners this year from last year. I mean, we had a lot of more um, Eastern schools uh, last year. And this year we had a lot more from the West Coast. So uh, it was good. It's good to see it coast to coast and, and different stuff coming forward. What, um, Justin, what is uh, coming up for uh, the rest of 2022? I mean, I, I know that, you know, you've been to the, Aside from everything that's going on in-house, you have the competitions, uh, obviously you're advising the group at the University of Illinois, you missed the flight to uh, <laughs> to the Food is Medicine Summit, but nonetheless, you participated. Um, where else can we uh, see you, meet you, um, hear about things that are going on, uh, and any other uh, initiatives that I might have missed that you might want to mention, please? Sure. So, yeah, I also um, co-chair the Personalized Nutrition Committee for Tufts, um, cool. and so under their um, uh, Dariush's uh, Mazafari and his his group there under Food um, uh, Innovation 
food and innovation. Um, so that's that's been great. I mean, the the we hope to have some deliverables out of there pretty soon. Um, uh, just from yeah, that work has just been it's been really interesting. I actually did not realize that Boston was such a mecca for food startup companies. Like mm -hmm. I just, I didn't realize that it's kind of like the Silicon Valley <laughs> for food startups. So it's, it was great to be able to, you know, meet these different folks and whatnot. And so, you know, more recently we'll be um, a mentor for, um, it's, uh, I guess it be a company that's, that's starting up that is sponsored by the Saudi Arabian government to help in sustainability um, areas. And so, you know, once that becomes more um, um, renowned can definitely, you know, make sure that you're aware and, and share that out. Um, you know, just most of it too is just to continue. I mean, we have four pilots on the go right now with the API center. So again, our advanced personalization and ideation center and, and um, different pilots around the globe. And that's really to, to see, you know, what is the potential for some of these areas and what's the market opportunity. So, you know, the way that we work is very much in a, in a test and learn and, and, and environment. And so, you know, we wanna make sure that whatever we're testing actually lands properly. And so, you know, there might be some commercial, um, um, you know, spin outs out of that, I guess, um, which we you know would love to come back and talk to you more about when, uh, <laughs> when, when we have those on the go. So that might be one area, but, uh, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think I have anything formalized on the calendar, you know, might, might try and get out to Fancy, um, ECSS, the European Congress of Sports Science and, and out in, in, in Europe would be great. I mean, it doesn't hurt that it's in Seville, Spain. So, um, you know, any of that space, but I mean, also just welcome anybody on LinkedIn to, you know, shoot me a note, love to have a chat with you, um, you know, can learn more about what we do and also what you guys do. So um, thanks very much. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, yeah, and we will, we will put links to, uh, to all of that. So, People can find you and, and, and reach out. Um, one last question. I, I, I once again I neglected in the intro to mention the, that you're an accomplished athlete. You played collegiate soccer. Uh, you currently play softball, soccer, football. You run a lot. Um, what do you do to relax when you're not doing all of this Pepsi stuff and when you're not running marathons and playing sports? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, let's be honest. I run so I can drink beer. <laughs> so so I yeah. like that. <laughs> now, a lot of camping, especially, you know, coming back to the roots and in, in uh, Western Canada, you know, there's a lot of camping, a lot of hiking, that kind of stuff somewhere where you can turn off the cell phone and, and get no cell service. So, you know, that's that's always a good way to unwind. But uh, yeah, and then on the other end of the hustle muscle in New York, I mean, the city's back. <laughs> so it's been great to, you know, live music and, and any of that. Um, the shows are back. It's just, yeah, it's just phenomenal. So try and try and keep a balance for sure. But uh, I definitely don't take myself too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good advice. Really good advice. Tristan, it's, it's a fascinating uh, set of programs and, and, and outreach initiatives you have going on. You know, I'd love to do a follow up with you uh, uh, later on, but uh, really, really fascinating work. Um, and um, wishing you the best with all of it as you continue to uh to uh, create this unique ecosystem um, for uh, for everybody uh, that's going to be listening to uh, this particular episode uh, across our podcast networks or watching on the YouTube. Again, you've been listening to Dr. Tristan Brisbois, Director, Advanced Personalization Ideation Center, Life Sciences Global R&D at PepsiCo. Um, Tristan, I, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to come talk to us for a little while about everything you have going on. Obviously, thanks for all that you're doing to uh, to share this knowledge with us. And as we say on our show, uh, thanks for helping to create 
create a better tomorrow for so many people via the work you're doing. Really very fascinating work and all the best for it. Well, thank you very much. It was, it was fun. It was just a privilege to, to be part of it. So thank you. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye.